Can you believe it? It's finally here. It's the most wonderful time of the year, unless you get stressed out about how to pay for it. Savewithconrad.com can help you make this the best Christmas ever. You won't make a house payment for the next two months. That's right. Skip your next two house payments and use all that cash for your extra holiday expenses. And come next year, you're going to have a lower monthly payment. Don't put Christmas on a credit card. Pay your credit card debt off at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Savewithconrad.com. December 28th will mark the 25th anniversary of Starcade 97, the culmination of a year-long build where Sting would finally step back in the ring to face Hollywood Hulk Hogan for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. The stage was set for a main event to become immortalized in wrestling history, and it did, but for all the wrong reasons. And for the first time in over 20 years on that 25th anniversary, Eric Bischoff and Nick Patrick will reunite to watch back and discuss what really happened that night at the MCI Center in Washington, D.C., hosted by Conrad Thompson, a topic that led to one of the most heated exchanges in the history of 83 weeks. And now you're going to act like it's ludicrous that we might think that that's what happened here when you managed to f*** up the single biggest moment in the history of wrestling, and now 20 years later you get on here and lie through your f***ing teeth and say it's because he wasn't tamed. I'm not lying too much, Chief. You finish over a pan? Is this real? Ad-free shows presents a premium watch-along event, The Fast Count, with Eric Bischoff and Nick Patrick, December 28th, 10 p.m. Eastern, immediately following AEW Dynamite. All $29 level members and higher are invited to join, and Top Guy members will be able to ask Eric and Nick questions about this controversial night in wrestling. No spray tan necessary. Sign up today and reserve your spot at adfreeshows.com. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to a fired up. Bruce Pritchard, what's going on, man? Well, how about it? Uh, Felice Navidad and all that good stuff. Here we are a day late, a dollar short, but still something to wrestle is back. And it sounds like you survived Las Vegas just barely. Pro tip. You and I discussed this. You, you do not do Vegas for any more than three days. You knew that. You knew it. I, I understand that, but I broke my own rule and I tried to do it for five. Yeah. Don't do it, folks. Don't do it. But we had a great time, man. Hey, thanks to Piff the Magic Dragon, man. What a class human being. Great show. Go out of your way to yes. see Piff the Magic Dragon at the Flamingo in Vegas. Absolutely excellent show, but even better, the human being behind it, uh, Piff and Mr. Piffles, and, of course, his lovely wife, the showgirl. Um, I think that's actually what she calls herself. But uh, they were tremendous, great people. Then, then I went and uh, saw my folks over at uh, ZZ Top, saw Billy Gibbons, and, of course, Elwood Francis, who took Dusty's place. Always great to see Elwood. And, 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 you know, last time I saw Elwood is he had a real short haircut, no beard, horn rim glasses. Now he's, he's going with the whole ZZ look. And there you go. 
great show. Pablo Gamboa. Love you, Pablo. And we're going to hang out this summer somewhere, someplace up here on tour by God. Uh, and then uh, I told you about Ron White on Saturday night. Absolutely yes. fantastic. And Ron was the ultimate heel and ultimate baby face all in one fell swoop. Uh, threw a handicapped person out of a show in the front row. Oh, and it, and it was it was great, but it was you, you had to be there. They deserved to be thrown out. Wow. All right. Well, uh, hey. and then absent on Monday was was tremendous. You and I talked about that. It was uh, so we had fun. While we're just passing out shout outs, shout out to Lenny Bakken, friend of the show, who uh, can help you uh, grow some money at the same time. So it was his birthday on Sunday. Oh, well, how about that? That was pretty cool. About, yeah. I know, right? I, I did not know that. So shout out the little belated years old. Well, he looks every bit of it. I know, right? Oh, I don't know what I did. I just did something bad, Conrad. Well, we're used to uh, it. Oh, I got it back. I got it back. We weren't we <laughs> weren't okay. super concerned on our end. I shouldn't press buttons over here. <sighs> it's what happens, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Before we uh, let it get away from us, let's jump into our topic today, boys and girls. Going back 15 years to Armageddon 2007. I think this is your last one there. This is your last Armageddon before the real Armageddon. Is it not? Uh, yeah, I think so. We're coming out of yeah. uh survivor series. The big takeaways are Randy Orton successfully defending the WWE title against Shawn Michaels and Batista successfully defending the world title against the undertaker and a hell in a cell match. Thanks to uh, some interference from the returning edge. Who had been gone since uh, July after tearing his peck and forfeiting the world title. And let's not forget the epic great Kali versus Hornswoggle match. That's a real sentence. Uh, but the big story is the return of many stars, including Chris Jericho's save us campaign. That's going to finish on raw. And, uh, it sounds like you're getting fired up for it there. I hear a little Miller time in the background. Yeah, well, we're on video now, so I, I, I can't even, I can't, can't, well, hang on, wait, yeah, see, that's just my, my Andre hand. That's the, uh, that's the delicious Diet Coke flavored Miller Lite. No, I go with the other one now. I'm, uh, oh, you switched teams? Yeah. Is this a yeah. clue? Hmm, Pepsi. Hmm. Mm, Pepsi. Like, I don't know, man. Sometimes you just got to switch it up a little bit. Uh, Jericho is going to come back with uh, somewhat of a new look. He's got short hair and a completely different interview style. Meltzer would say he looked shockingly young, which is a good thing in this business. When you're 37 years old, his promo was more along the lines of a high energy MC trying to whip the crowd into a frenzy at the start of a rock concert, more than a pro wrestling interview. He kind of looked like Elwood Jet- Jetson grown up. If, if Bon Jovi and Elwood had a baby. Yeah. Maybe that'll see him. Yeah. Uh, what'd you think of, uh, the, the rep, the, the presentation here? I mean, Chris Jericho in recent years, people have started to say, man, this guy keeps reinventing himself and you see all the different looks he's tried and all the different things he's tried. He's going to try something totally different here at the end of 07. No. Well, hats off to Chris because yeah, he continually would reinvent himself and whether it was a haircut or different ring gear or change it all up either way. Chris was always real good about doing that. And he knew to stay relevant. You had to change it up from time to time. And I think that's what made him relevant all these years. So we're also going to see another fellow make some headlines. Rick Flair. I think you hit the uh, microphone maybe. Okay. 
Uh, Meltzer would say Flair will be back as a weekly performer to build for a major WrestleMania angle. It's believed the storyline will be based in some form of the much talked about idea Steve Austin came up with for Flair's last big story at last year's WrestleMania. Although it's uncertain how this will work out and what tweaks have been made. Time will tell what will work out in regard to working with top talent and getting interview time. It's not a secret that Vince McMahon felt the flair interview style was too eighties of the last several years, and he's been reluctant to give him much time. Flair recently signed a new three-year contract with the company. Originally flair expected to leave wrestling as a performer when he retired, saying that he'd do the hall of fame end his career and leave on that high and start up a new lending business. While he's still doing that business, he will remain full-time company, uh, or a full-time company employee after retirement. So listen, we know what we're getting ready to talk about is Flair's big last hurrah at WrestleMania in 2008. When did you know, Hey, this is the one where we write him out. was this apparent as soon as you started thinking about doing something with him here by the end of 07, or did it happen as we got closer towards it? No, it was the reason that he was coming back was to retire. I, I, you know, going through the notes for this, I never knew that Rick was going to do a lending business. Was he going to have people lend him money? Oh Lord. This or was, was he going to let, but no, seriously, I, I had never, I had never heard that. I had never heard that. Did you know that? I think the, uh, the thing I heard about back in the day, I think it started in like September of 07 was where he teamed up with a guy named Chris Porter, who I never even heard of. Uh, but it's uh, Rick flair finance. I think is something they tried. And I guess that guy was a mortgage broker or some sort. And he was trying to, I think it was a lead generation tool and they were just trying to sell the leads. I've never actually asked Rick about it. I probably should, but clearly it, uh, wasn't long for this world. So if that yeah, was, I, I never, I had never, I had never heard that spin on it. I never heard that Rick was, you know, obviously I don't think Rick wanted to retire, but right. at the same time, Rick, you know, was also looking at how many more years can I do this? And, given the option of, Hey, let's do a big retirement thing and then use you utilize you as that guy that is the spokesman for WWE and able to go out and do appearances and, and still continue to be Ric Flair. Uh, it seemed that that idea had appealed to him at the time. Obviously it didn't, but, um, that was the pitch. I mean, that was the, the reason for bringing Rick back and to tell that story is time went on, but, um, yeah, you learn something new every day. He was going to be in the lending business. And then all these years later, his daughter would lend, uh, well, would marry the lender of all. <laughs> well, full circle. Hey, let's now, talk isn't about it. It's crazy. Right? It is a small world. When you think about yeah. it, uh, let's talk about Carlito here for a minute. There's a report out here that he was unhappy. He's going to give notice. He wants to leave. And as, as the story goes, you guys sort of talk him into sticking around, um, somewhere along the way though, he even winds up losing a match to Hornswoggle on Monday night raw. I got to admit, looking back, I did kind of think Carlito was going to get a bigger push and be a bigger star. It never really happened the way I think he imagined, or maybe even the WWE imagined, but even I was shocked to go back into my notes and see, Hey, he asked for a release and you guys talked him into staying. What do you remember of this? Well, we didn't want to lose Carlito. I think that he was a great talent and underutilized, but also I feel that a part of Carlito too was underperforming. 
I think there was a lot more in that tank that we never got. I remember watching, you know, Carly Cologne in Puerto Rico that uh, Kurt Hennig came and we, I was in Puerto Rico doing other business and I saw Kurt Hennig one night and he told me, man, he goes, you got to see this, this Carly Cologne. We, <laughs> we were there the next night and their, their tape was on TV that night and uh, watched the show and he was just fabulous. I mean, and I don't know that we ever got that guy and maybe because he came in as a heel and was trying to be cool and to do that whole thing. I think he was trying to get a bit of a Razor Ramon vibe or what have you. But I don't think we ever got that Carly Cologne fire from the islands that we originally saw. And I was still hoping to get that out of him and, and try and get to a point to where we could see that and have him reach a potential that I think he felt that he should – get to and that, that we felt we should get to. So it, it just, um, we were hoping, we were hoping to continue. And I don't think Carly was, was having fun at this time. The raw after survivor series, we would see Shawn Michaels positioned with Mr. Kennedy. It feels like Mr. Kennedy once upon a time was another one of those guys who was supposed to break through this, the, the supposed glass ceiling. And he got lots of opportunities or at least brushed up against a lot of big time talent. In your mind, did this piece of business with Shawn Michaels, this pairing, did this start to feel like, Hey, it's make or break time for Mr. Kennedy. Now it was make or break time for Ken, because there was so much potential there. There was so much hype coming in. I remember Heyman, you know, this is the next big thing. And Paul wasn't alone. We all felt that way about Ken because Ken could talk, man, could a great promo. He was engaging with the audience. The audience seemed to buy his stuff. But when it came to the, the big match, when it came to, all right, you know, now here's where we have to turn that corner, he would always stop short of making that complete turn. And, you know, I said it before, I, I, I like Ken personally a lot. And I thought that he had an awful lot to offer the business. I just feel sometimes – uh, and question whether or not he was afraid of, of that success and, and whether he was could articulate that or not, that I just think there was something in him that he would get there and, and something would always happen. Something would always seem to happen that would not work. And here's with Sean is, man, if you can't go out and have a great match with Sean and tell a great story with Sean, then maybe we are wasting our time. When you say but again, I still wasn't ready to, to give up on Ken. I thought he had, I thought Ken had it. Yeah. I think everybody watching at the time would agree with you. I, I am curious about something you said there. When you said scared of success, I've heard you say that before uh, about a different talent that is not relevant right now, uh, that we should discuss, but I, I, I wanted to ask, you know, what does that mean from your perspective? Scared of success. Do you mean that almost subconsciously they would self-sabotage like they don't mean to, but they yes. just, yeah, exactly what I mean. I think that there is something innate that when you get close to it, you're just about there, man. And you're, you're feeling like, okay, this is going to be the peak and we're going to blast off from here that just kind of run out of gas. And mm. doo, 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 doo. Mm. Um, I don't think it's intentional. I just think that it, it's a personality trait. Sometimes that some folks will only allow themselves to go so far. 
Well, let's talk about uh, how far Vince was willing to go with another bit where Hornswoggle is his son. Do you remember Vince getting frustrated with that? Or was that just a fun thing for Vince all the way through the end? I, you know, it was fun, but I also think it was kind of wearing thin. And when you look at it, it's time to move on yeah. and maybe Hornswoggle because Hornswoggle look, man, he could be an attraction and to not be able to utilize Hornswoggle on live events and get him out there is shortchanging him and, and the promotion. See what I did there. Yes. But, um, I think that for Hornswoggle and for the company, the best thing to do would kind of let's move him beyond Vince and take him somewhere else. And now something I can't believe we're going to talk about. This has been discussed uh, a little bit here and there on social media as a real head scratcher. And even when I first saw it on social, I said to myself, self, do you remember that happening? And I do not. The nasty boys are in a dark match here in 2007, beating Dave Taylor and drew McIntyre at SmackDown tapings. Mouse word, write this. The nasty boys tryout may have gone well with the live audience that popped big, seeing them as the first stars on the taping and as a surprise, but not so well backstage. They were criticized for playing to the crowd and delaying the show. And it was felt they worked too stiff with McIntyre and Taylor. It delayed the start of SmackDown. So they were running late and had to rush to get the ring ready for ECW by its live 10 PM start. This is just amazing to me. How in the world in 2007, is there a nasty boys dark match? Well, Conrad, I'm going to tell you a story. Okay. When I came back in 1987. I remember sitting at Vince's house, myself, Joe Watts, Pat Patterson and Vince. And Vince was talking about how we need to go and we need to shoot these vignettes with superstar Billy Graham. He's going to have hip surgery and, or they had already done the hip surgery and they, they had shot the hip surgery. They had uh, videoed the surgery superstar was going to make his comeback. Now, all that Vince had seen was, well, actually, you know what? I'm, let me rephrase that. I don't think Vince ever saw a picture of superstar, a video of superstar or anything of what superstar looked like in his current condition. But he was talking to Superstar, like, you know, quite often. And he was like, I got the 22 inch pythons, brother. They're, they're huge. And the arms, are, they've never been bigger, Vince. And he's going on, I'm in the best shape. I got a 32 inch waist. And I'm going, I'm training every day. I'm running up to the top of the mountain out of the desert. I'm ripping off cactus and drinking the juice. And I mean, he's cutting promos because it's on speakerphone and you're sitting at the kitchen table and shit. And listening to this and go, Hey shit, man, wouldn't that be great for a superstar return? And superstar was one of Vince's favorites. Right. So as he's going to, I'm doing all this. Vince is going to be great. I'll come back, man. I'm going to make a run for the title and I can be your man. I can be your man. You can get behind. And Joel goes to Arizona to shoot vignettes of superstar, you know, with the tarantula. Yes. And up on the, you know, if I could my shirt off, you would see how huge his guns are. Yeah, massive. Um, massive. So vascular. Uh, I remember Joe calling me and going, yeah, um, Superstar 
he's not in shape. Oh. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? He says, no, he's, he's like not in shape. I said, oh, shit, man. He goes, did you tell Vince? He goes, oh, well, Vince thinks, you know, by the time he'll, he gets back, he'll be in ring shape and he'll be ready to go. He goes, I don't think he's understanding what I'm telling him. So Joel comes back, you know, we show him the vignettes and, and we had to be very creative and judicious in what we showed from what was shot. Cause you really couldn't show him with his shirt off because he was a little soft. He had, you know, gut. I'm not throwing stones. I got a gut. I'm, I'm not, I wore a white suit. Okay. Yeah. I, I ain't taking my shirt off. Right. Um, so I'm not throwing stones, man. Superstar was in great shape compared to a lot of people, but he wasn't superstar Billy Graham. There you go. He wasn't, he wasn't, you know, the man of the hour, the man with the patches, too dunk on sweet to be sour. He wasn't, he wasn't that guy. And bald head, he had the 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 weird goatee and everything, different colors and shit. And Vince just like heard what Superstar told him and right. took him at his word. Yeah. Fast forward. That was 1987. Now we're in what, 2007? 20 years later. Nasty boys. <laughs> you're listening to the Nasty Boys. You listen to guys that are friends of the Nasty Boys. Say, oh, man. Yeah, they look great. They're the Nasty Boys. I mean, you know, you're not you're not looking at, at superstar Billy Graham type physiques anyway. They're the Nasty Boys. Right. Even for the Nasty Boys, it was like, oh, my God. They were, um, they were large. They were really out of shape and it was not good, but as a favor, and I don't just, it was as a favor. Vince always liked the Nasty boys. We all did. Yes. Um, sure, man. Come on in. We're in Tampa. You live in Tampa. We're going to be in Tampa. Let's do a tryout in Tampa and put them out there. And I think that the, pop that was alluded to earlier was just maybe the pop for the nasty boy music. Right. Being the first match of the night. Right. That it's like, yeah. And it was not a good tryout. It was, it was pretty bad as a matter of fact, and they were out of breath and then they wouldn't get out of the ring and they don't understand, you know, you know, we're going to be live, pal. Um, so that was kind of the story of the Nasty Boy tryout. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. You ever talk about that with Drew McIntyre? Uh, obviously he's become the man in years since, but here, man, he's just cutting his teeth. He's one of the you know youngest guys on the roster. I think he's like 21 at the time. And he's given the task of a nasty boys return here. And I think that drew probably at the time would have been happy to be in the ring with the nasty boys and just happy to be able to say, Hey, I worked with the nasty boys. Well, That's my I, uh, Given the same, given the same same scenario, maybe a few years later in 
uh, Drew's career. Like when I saw him in TNA, I don't know if he would have been, you know, that that happy to to do it. But but then I think he was just yeah, let's go. Well, I just think it's interesting that uh, you know even the the, the write up in the Observer is that they were pretty stiff with him. Hey, and speaking of stiff, let's talk about Blue Chew. Bruce is oh, really hard ding dong took, took its way all the way to Las Vegas. I'm curious. Did you fly out there or just ride on your heart on? I mean, is that, you just you gas know. that bastard up and <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, you, today's episode <laughs> and every episode brought to you by Bluetooth. If you're not seeing what's happening on camera right now on YouTube, you are missing out. The nights are getting longer, but the breeze isn't the only thing that's getting stiff. And guys, we all know the confidence can take you far in life. And that's especially true in the bedroom. Think of it as like a hot tag for your wiener. Blue Chew is a unique online service. Got the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable forms and at a fraction of the cost. Take them anytime, day or night. So plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. We call that a run in around here. Well, the process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you receive your prescription within days. And the best part, it's all done online, daddy. No visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy, just grade a hard American made cock meat. Bluechew's tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package. But there won't be anything discreet about your package. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, chew it and do it, y'all. Let's have some better sex, and we got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code WRESTLE at checkout. Just pay the $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com. The promo code is WRESTLE, and you'll receive your very first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring today's podcast. Bruce, did you get all those boogers out? I, I got something in there right here. Well, get it, man. No, I, it's not it. It's like, you know how like when you get your hair, it gets a little long and like tickles there and you try to like push yes. it up. And yes. Them. Yeah. Well, that happens for my mustache. I don't have the nose. Yeah, well, that may be what it is here too, but I know you can't even tell from there that I actually have a mustache. But yeah, that actually may be what it is, but it's bugging them. Well, because at your advanced age, your body has decided to give up on all over yeah. growing pigmentation for your, it's like, Hey man, I know we used to make a lot of effort to make hair color, but we're just trying to keep nah. this fucker alive. Let's just, let's let the hair go, man. Whatever it is, it is. And it comes out yeah, great. I don't, I don't have the time for that. No, I ain't got, got time for that. I ain't got time for that. All right, let's get into it. The Vicky and uh, Eddie Guerrero story. You're welcome. Or I'm sorry. The Edge and Vicky story are going to start about how they're romantically involved. And this, I have to say, I just did not see coming. It came totally out of left field, but I thought it delivered in a major way. I think this is some of the most fun that we. I mean, and the thing that was fun about it is I just didn't see it coming. It was so unexpected. Sometimes you can see these things coming a mile away and that is not the case here. The final segment on SmackDown would see edge interview. Vicky edge tells Vicky that she's the love of his life. Batista comes out. Eventually undertaker comes out. Undertaker gives Vicky a tombstone. She stretched out. The crowd is chanting rest in peace at Vicky. 
I'm sure there were no reservations about Vicky taking the tombstone. Undertaker's going to take care of her, but man, talk to me about how this whole edge Vicky thing first popped off because this was a real highlight. Well, uh, this, this one particular night and I have been, uh, an edge head, if you will, but I've been a fan of Adam Copeland and, and edge since day one. Um, professional to the core and as we're sitting in the in the office there we're trying to think of uh what to do and and i'm staring at him i'm like the only way people are going to believe this is if they see it Mm. and they need to they need to go for it man there needs to be some passion here there needs to be so if you're ever gonna you know do anything and i I pulled Edge off by himself. I pulled Vicky off by herself. And I asked them both how they felt about it. And they were both like, yeah, sure. Whatever we need to do. And we're true pros. But I think if either one of them had had a hesitation, it wouldn't have worked. Right. It just, you, you wouldn't believe it. But they were so good at what they did, man. And when they looked in each other's, man, you felt that, that just... From Vicky, you felt that lust. Yeah. And from Edge, you felt that it's like, man, I, I got to do what I got to do, and I'm going to use her. And they, man, it was real. It was authentic. It felt, it felt real, and it felt wrong. It just felt like this shouldn't be happening. No, no. But yet you were watching it with your own two eyes, and you saw the passion. You saw how these two were just. God, and and you, then you start picturing, oh, God, what else? And later on, we did the vignettes at the day spa and all these things that I – you talk about having a blast with something. I had so much fun with this whole pairing and, and uh, the edge stories with Vicky going forward. But it was this night. It was that particular night in Tampa, Florida, and I remember the office where we shot it, and – Threw it by Vince, and Vince was like, "Oh no, we don't need to go that far." I said, yeah, we do, we do, we we have to. Otherwise, it's just it's just two people that are, you know, a manager thing. I said, "We got to go there," and he goes, "All right, we'll see." How, and and we did it live, and they went for it, and it was insanely great. Loved it. I love the idea that Vince wasn't sold on it. You talk him into it. Once everybody sees how it comes off, what did Vince think about it? Once he, you know, got a chance to see it actually happen. Well, I think once you saw it, everybody was either, everybody was either shocked or like, Oh yes. You know, this is great because you weren't expecting it. You didn't think you were going to see that. Right. And when you saw it and how well it was done, it wasn't up. Right. It was getting after it. Yeah, it was real. It was passion. It was hunger. Lust. Any, uh, after it comes off, how are, how are Edge and Vicky afterwards? Did they feel, oh man, that worked. Over the moon. Yeah. Over the moon. They were so excited. They felt it. That same night in uh, Tampa, Matt Hardy's appendix would burst. This has got to be just a, a crazy circumstance backstage. What do you remember about this? You know, I don't, uh, other than, you know, Matt being, being sick and you're wondering, oh God, he was in enough pain that something was, was definitely wrong for him to be selling as much as he was. And 
for him to be in that kind of pain. So yeah, I, but I don't, I really don't remember any more than that. Let's talk about uh, raw on the 26th. Uh, this is in Charlotte and it's all based on the return of Ric Flair to the WWE. And of course it's huge. Meltzer would say the creative was lacking a little bit, but Flair gets choked up and the place goes nuts for him. And he says it wasn't like the greatest reaction of the year or even a Hogan reaction, but it was a great reaction. Flair was low key. And then he got hot and said he would never retire. Started doing his dance and running off the ropes and such. And then out comes Vince who calls Flair a good piece of property. And he says the next time he loses, it will be his last match. Uh, who, who deserves the credit for that concept and angle to sort of build towards WrestleMania? I don't really remember. I, I know that, you know, by this time for Rick to come back, it, it was presented, you know, Hey, we're going to do Rick's retirement. It was presented to us by Vince. Okay. So I don't know if it was, it was Vince's idea or whose idea it particularly was, but it was presented to us by Vince as to this is what we're going to do with Rick. And the idea was one that every match that Rick was in could potentially be his last. Right. And the feeling was, was Vince was going to throw these just insurmountable opponents at Rick and Rick overcomes and overcomes and overcomes until Rick basically is looking himself in the mirror and that's the guy he has to face. And that guy being Shawn Michaels, who was, you know, epitomized Rick and loved Rick so much that he wanted to be like him. So that was, that was the idea that was pitched. Yeah. Do you know, I mean, I think as the story goes, it's Stephanie McMahon who calls and sort of pitches this idea to Rick. Uh, did she lose a bet? Like I imagine <laughs> nobody wants to call and tell that to Rick, do they? Well, I, you know, goes with the job. You, you right. gotta, <laughs> that, that's, that's the gig. It's, it's kind of like, Oh, Hey, wait a minute. You know, I want to be a top guy. I just don't want to make every town. I don't want to be on every TV. Uh, can I take a few weeks off? Um, no, you want to be a top guy. You're there all the time and you want to be in that spot. It's you take the good with the bad. Sometimes it means you get to hire people and change their life in a positive way. Sometimes it means you have to fire people and destroy their dream. So that goes with the gig. And yeah, sometimes you, you got to do things and say, Hey, you give it the best college try. And it was something you know, also, I think truly Stephanie believed in it as well. It was a great story. Yes, it was. So, um, that wouldn't be a hard one to pitch. So you already had, when you started this in mind, it's going to go to Sean and flair was, uh, is this something you tell Sean about, or you ask Sean about like, say, Hey, here's what we're thinking. What do you think? Or is it just, Hey, here's what we're doing, pal. I, I think it kind of grew to that. Really, it wasn't something, you know, right away, other than we'll do Rick's last match. There was thought that it would be Mr. McMahon. You know, there was thought it could have been a lot of different people. You know, it could have been Hunter, could have been Sean, could have been Vince. Um, probably could have been any number of people. I think, that, you know, ending up on Sean being that guy that uh, was a young version of Rick Flair in so many ways really worked. Um, to tell you that we had that then, not really. No, but to know that that's where you wanted to get to, it wasn't going to be, uh, the Brooklyn brawler. Right. So, you know, wanting, really wanting to give Rick the ultimate send off. 
it really couldn't have wound up more perfect in hindsight. I mean, Shawn Michaels was the right guy there, was he not? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, um, Sean would have been great. You know, Hunter would have been great. Batista, maybe. Yeah. Um, just because, again, of the story at the time. But all in all, I think that the right decision was Sean. So eventually Orton's going to come out and put him over before saying he would like to end his career and Meltzer would continue. The problems here are twofold. The biggest is Vince needed to have an explanation. If flair was valuable, as he said, why would he place this stipulation on him? Particularly since if you want to go in the direction where Vince gets the heat for the angle, it should take creative all of 40 seconds to come up with a promo to make sense out of this with Vince saying all the things he's never liked about flair and why he wants him gone instead of firing him. He wants him to go out as a loser. I don't know if this is necessarily I mean, listen, I, I sort of get, well, if he is a property, blah, 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 but we're kind of overthinking maybe a little bit, we got to suspend some disbelief. It was a little nitpicky by Dave to me. Yeah. And also not thinking about making money and being able to tell a story because now you have more reason than ever to get behind Rick. Every single match going forward had stakes. There was no match Rick was going to have from that moment on that didn't truly have high stakes. It could be his last. So as a promoter, it's like, Hey, Rick, I hope you do. You know what? Hope you do win. Cause yeah. now I've got another guy right behind that. That's going to end your career. It may not happen tonight. It may not happen next week, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen on my watch. Let's so talk again as a promoter and a story that worked. What about Arn Anderson and Barry Windham that we're going to see flair later in the same show talking to them backstage and where he's sort of referencing, you know, the horseman, a Meltzer would say there had been talk of doing something with them together, but even when much of the creative department was for it, Vince nixed it as the horseman is one of those things Vince hates because it wasn't an idea that was his. I know that's a common criticism of Vince over the years, but you were there. It is kind of rare in this sense to see the horseman being discussed on TV and actually see two horsemen or three of the horsemen there. I could see how maybe that could be fun, but it's almost like nobody in that group is wrestling besides Rick. Yeah. What, what else what was there do to do? Him? Yeah. They bring him to the ring one day or something. There's not yeah. much you can do, right? What would you do? I mean, there, there's nothing that really any of them could do. They couldn't have a match and it just, it, it was okay. Hey, nostalgia a little bit with these two guys. And while I'm on it, Hey man, shout out to Barry Windham, who yes. is uh, currently man, uh, fighting for his life. And I understand that, you know, Barry, Barry's awake and he's, uh, not out of the woods a hundred percent, but Barry's a fighter. And that that's one thing that Barry Windham always has been and, and is now. So thoughts and prayers go out to Barry Windham. And, uh, if you do anything, Barry deserves it. Absolutely. GoFundMe.com. Just look up Barry Windham. They've raised over $50,000 as we're talking now. Uh, they've got a goal of $200,000. And while Barry was a hell of a performer, unfortunately, most of his days were not where the uh, pay structure is where it is now. So he did not have medical insurance and uh, is going to need a little bit of help on the other side of this. My understanding is he's uh, no longer in a life-threatening position. He's out of ICU and on the mend, but uh, now we got to get him up and going. So check it out. GoFundMe.com. Just type in Barry Windham and you'll see it there. And, uh, we greatly appreciate your support of 
any and everybody in this little wrestling community that we enjoy so much. Uh, Jeff Hardy and triple H are going to be programmed together and face off in a promo on raw for their match at Armageddon. And this feels like yet another bite at the apple for Jeff Hardy. I mean, you go back to his famous ladder match five years prior to this with the undertaker. And it felt like, man, this guy can be a big single star. And now it feels like, man, we're really going to get moving in that direction here. Was this finally the chance to help make him one of the top guys? Do you think? We were hoping so. Yeah, absolutely. Because Jeff had all the tools. Jeff had charisma, no matter what, you know, you did with him. There was a part, I think for Jeff where some of Jeff wanted to be a heel, you know, Hey, I haven't done that. Let me try that. Um, but I'm not sure the audience really would have accepted him as a heel. There's just some performers that they didn't take a chase on, cut somebody's arm off in the middle of the ring and they're not going to bull. Uh, I think Jeff was kind of in that, but Jeff also was toying with the idea of, Hey, maybe I could be a heel as well. But yes, this was an attempt to, you know, once again, put Jeff in that spotlight, put him in a top position. Well, you're trying to find something to do for Hornswoggle and Vince. They've had a series of these different vignettes and here's one that's maybe takes the cake. Vince tells Hornswoggle. Uh, after Finley kept surprising him, he's going to surprise Finley with a match with Kali at Armageddon. And then he tells Swoggle to go out and get him an ice cream sandwich. The very idea that Vince McMahon eats ice cream sandwiches makes me laugh. Uh, Hornswoggle leaves and Vince is on a walkie talkie setting him up. There's a sign in the hall saying free ice cream sandwiches on a door. So Hornswoggle goes in and it's an empty room with Carlito. They run around until Carlito drew a black door in the wall and walked through it. Carlito then tried and nearly knocked himself out since he walked into the wall. And as he's selling it, Ron Simmons sees this and says, damn, this wasn't as bad as the segment where coachman or the Kali wig, but it was amongst the worst segments of the year. Oh, horse shit. <laughs> horse shit. You loved it. This was awesome. Oh God. It was awesome. Okay. Hornswoggle draws a door. Hornswoggle <laughs> goes through the door. <laughs> He's a leprechaun. Yes. They can do that. It's kind of like Piff being a magic dragon. I knew you were going to say that. We're going to. It was like a, it was a leprechaun that was able to go through that door. Since you went they to a show, are we just gonna, are we just going to whack off Piff every episode since you went to a show? It's fine. I just want to. I'll work it in if it's going to be a part of our oncoming bits or upcoming Maybe. bits. I don't know. Okay, we'll keep it in mind. But it was there. You fed it to me. We got a guy <laughs> that's painting doors and magically going through them. You want me to just leave it there? No, I can't do that. He's a leprechaun. He could do that kind of shit. He's looking for his pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. That's what they do. He was able to do that. And, you know, I produce that. Yeah. I, listen, I can tell when you got fired up, well, there was no doubt to anyone listening to this, who produced it. We knew so, there, there are so many things about this, this particular evening that, that, that come back to me. And again, it's, I don't remember everything, but I remember things that meant something to me and how it affected me. Yes. Um, there were just many, many things that happened this day. It was one of the, one of the most difficult days of producing I'd ever had because Vince and I were, 
were kind of at odds uh, on this particular shot, but by God, he wanted to do this and we were going to do it. And I'm trying to figure out how to do it and how to shoot it and all this other crap. And then I, we figured it out. And I thought it was highly entertaining when it all was said and done. I, thought it was, I, I did. I, thought, I hated it first. Hated it on paper and idea form. But I absolutely loved the final product. I thought that, <laughs> I thought that we, again, it's about fun. And if you can't have fun with this shit, then you're in the wrong business. Get out. Go. Go watch the World Cup or something. Um it was it was meant in fun, but it was also the night that we realized that um, Vince probably didn't need to be in that Hornswoggle story anymore. Why not? Um, it was going to be a clash with Fit, and I don't think that Fit was was up to snuff at that point, and and Vince wasn't feeling it, and. There was, it was a lot of things happening all at once. You know, Bradshaw um, really wanting to work with Fit. Fit, you know, it, it was a lot. It was it was the perfect storm. But I just remember sitting there that night and going, you know, Bob Backlund, take 96. Um, frustrations in getting things shot that night. And, and it looming in the background is I've got to have a leprechaun run through a black spot on the wall explain to me what finley wasn't up to snuff i mean everybody it, listening it, it, to this. fit wasn't good in promos he just he just he wasn't good he wasn't good in promos man he just couldn't do it and it and it came across very stiff fits another one of those guys you, you can put in there like brad armstrong and arn anderson that are man you talk about having you in stitches yeah and being personable and quick-witted and a guy that everybody loves red light turns on and he becomes very stiff and just, it just wasn't working. Do you think that's because, um, he didn't really like the WWE style of presentation or was he just nervous on camera doing some of the over the top? I mean, clearly in the ring, he never done it. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. He never done it. And his character was always, you know, uh, the tough Irishman and the, the, you know, the shooter, the tough Irishman. All of which he was. Right. That's who he is. But then when you try to get Dave Finley out of him, mm. who's this entertaining, quick-witted guy that cracks everybody up and has a smart-ass answer for everything, get that on camera, he couldn't do it. Gotcha. Just couldn't do it. Well, on this show, Flair eventually pins Orton with Jericho's help. Uh, Natty Neidhart, I think, works a dark match here and loses to Victoria. Any memories of a very young Natty Neidhart coming into the fold? Yeah, I remember, you know, Natty, God, when she did first come into the fold and it was, it was Natty and TJ and, um, Teddy Hart, I believe that were all training down in FCW at the time. So, uh, obviously Jim's daughter and a lot of potential there. And I think things turned out all right for her. I think it worked out just fine. The main yeah. event was a title match with Batista. Goes to a no contest with edge in 15 minutes. They're having a match and then the lights go out. Um, here comes the undertaker. Once the lights are back on undertaker, just stands there and Batista gives edge a spear undertaker. Then gives Batista a choke slam and Teddy long returns and says, it's going to be a three way for the title at Armageddon. So Teddy long is back player. Uh, who'd you like more in the GM role? Teddy long or Vicky Guerrero. They were different. 
I enjoyed, uh, I mean, I, God, that's a tough one because I enjoyed them both equally, I think. It was so much fun to work with Teddy backstage. Um, Teddy was another one, man. God, you give him stuff to to remember and try and do lines, forget about it. He couldn't do it. But Teddy, but Teddy, the contrary, on camera, Teddy, Teddy could just go and riff. And I think Teddy was extremely entertaining. Same thing with Vicky. Vicky was a natural. Um, they were just different. I loved, I loved the heel Vicky Guerrero, though. She was awesome. But Teddy, player, player. Oh, God, we had fun. We had so much fun. Well, I'll tell you where else you and I have had fun, and that's Jimmy's Famous Seafood.com. Oh, yeah. If you are a wrestling fan and you haven't been to Jimmy's, what are you waiting for? Everybody, and I mean everybody, no matter what organization you work for, if you're in the wrestling business, you know all about Jimmy's Famous Seafood. But now, Baltimore's worst kept secret, the best crab cakes in the world, is delivering food nationwide with free, that's right, free two-day nationwide shipping on orders over 125 bucks when you use the promo code WRESTLE. Now, why is the free shipping important? Well, if you've ever ordered high-end food like this before, you know, man, the shipping is the real expense. The shipping is where they get you. Well, how do you beat free? Jimmy's is going to hook you up. What can you expect? Well, the best crab cakes in the world to the point that I don't even eat crab cakes anywhere else. Cause once you've had Jimmy's man, you just can't go back. It's just, it's not the same. You get their crab cakes, you get their soups, you get their chowders, you get their oysters, you get their signature steaks. Don't sleep on those. Some of the best prime rib I ever had was from Jimmy's plus all the desserts, the gluten-free items. And if you've got somebody on your list, that's kind of hard to buy for that. You need a little holiday box to arrive. I can't recommend the famous gift box enough. It's four of the world's best colossal Maryland crab cakes, two different crab soups, a crab dip, seafood seasoning, their signature bay sauce. Maybe you're getting geared up for the playoffs or bowl season. If you're a college guy like me, well, check out that tailgate bundle, two pounds of wings, a full rack of ribs, a pint of crab dip and the crab cake mix or create your own package. Everybody's got their favorite thing, but I'll tell you this. I never had anything bad at Jimmy's. I've been going for a long, long time. And when I find myself in Baltimore, I'll eat all my meals there. I mean, I'll be there for lunch and I'll come back for supper. It's the best man. It's like a whole vibe. These are great folks. They've been in business for decades, over 40 years in business, a true, true blue family owned and operated business. And I'm talking world famous. You've not only seen them on Ravens games, but you've seen them on diners, dine-ins and dives. You've seen them on beat Bobby Flay and Basically, anytime you see a vignette of uh, somebody in the business outside of their work life, they're rocking some Jimmy's famous seafood gear because it is a brand. It's a swag. It's, it's a vibe, Bruce. It's the best crab cakes in the world. It's Jimmy's famous seafood.com. Use our promo code wrestle free two day nationwide shipping. Bruce, is there anything bad at Jimmy's? I don't think so. Everything I've had there is 10 out of 10. So I got to tell you, I could pick up the phone. I could call John and say, yes. Hey John, I need some. And I know it would be here the next day. Yes. And I, I, I love him for that. But my wife was saying just the other day, she goes, I want crab cakes for Christmas. Yes. And I wasn't about to call John and we utilized our free shipping. Yep. And use that promo code Russell. We got the free shipping and we got, of course, a ton more than crab cakes. The uh, lobster pie, the seafood 
pot pie. Yep. Holy shit. But, okay, when we're done with the commercial, I'm going to tell you another story about Jimmy's Famous Seafood. Well, I'm good with it. Hey, man, check it out right now. Jimmy'sFamousSeafood.com. The promo code is WRESTLE. Uh, you heard Bruce say he's going to have some crab cakes. Eric Bischoff has said on his podcast, he cooks his on the grill, and it's like touching the face of God. Uh, I don't know that I'd go that far, but let me say this. My wife, too, said, hey, you know, we're doing fillets for Christmas Eve. And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, can we get some of those crab balls? So listen, a crab cake is a big bag daddy here. Little appetizer. And while we were there, as as she's looking at the website, she goes, oh, they've got the stuffed shrimp. So we're having stuffed shrimp and crab balls here at the Thompson household on Christmas Eve. Make it a part of your tradition. Just take our word for it. Trust fat guys when it comes to food. We know where the good eating is, and it's at jimmysfamousseafood.com with the promo code WRESTLE. And so going way back. Yeah. We'll go back to the Lex Express. Yes. And I'm pretty sure I may have, have told this story in the Lex Express, but it was so that was God, one of our five years ago. Yeah. Ever shows. And we had got to a point. Baltimore was the last stop and uh Lex was going to the hotel, blah, 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 blah. And we're like, God, like we, we finally got away from Lex. Like, so where are you guys going? And the only thing I could think of to tell him at the time that I knew he wouldn't go was, Hey man, we're going to go eat crabs. And he was kind of like, Ew. and we went to Jimmy's famous. Now this is when John's dad was alive and we pigged out on the absolute greatest crab that you ever had in your life. Yes. And then years later, when uh, every time we would go to Baltimore, we would send out for crab and or crab cakes from Jimmy's famous seafood. And then when I went in there all those years later, that was God, what 25, 30 yeah. years ago. Yes. Um, go in there all those years later and see all the pictures of the boys. And I met John. I said, man, I remember your dad, you know, I didn't know John, John was a kid at the time. And I, I remember just going, Holy cow. Uh, but legendary, uh, friend of the show, friend of the business and, and absolutely the best seafood you'll ever eat. Just fantastic guys. Go check it out. Serious business. Jimmy's famous seafood.com. The promo code is wrestle. I mean, it's really not even an advertisement. It's more like a, a public service announcement. It's the best. You won't regret it. Yeah. Well, it's in our stories. <laughs> so after all of the impending problems between the marriage issues and the upcoming lawsuit, it's not a surprise that Hulk Hogan is going to return to the WWE. What is a surprise is when and how. He comes back for the 15th anniversary of raw on December 10th in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And he's basically as an ensemble cast member in a show that was booked around Vince McMahon and Meltzer would write the announcement of Hogan was almost made to feel like an afterthought. Was it a last minute decision to bring back Hulk Hogan or was, did you just know there's only so much we can do with him? So we're not going to really make it a focal point. Yeah. What do you do with him? I mean, it was a 15 year anniversary of raw and looking for big stars to come and be a part of that show. So why wouldn't you want to bring Hogan in for that? It's just a great opportunity to bring him in and have him do a cameo, have him be a part of the show without being the focal point of the show. Uh, Meltzer would report that Bret Hart would turn down another chance to appear here for the company. Were you hoping at this point, did you maintain any hope that we're going to make this happen eventually? You know, I, I always had hope, but I think that the 
writing was on the wall, at least at this point, Vince and Brett had already had their meeting and kind of made their peace and gotten together. And um, you knew it was going to happen eventually. Right. I just think that it was inevitable, you know, right now because Brett just, I don't think he was ready. I don't think Brett was ready to, to come back and be on camera and, and do anything just yet. Even if it was a cameo and a, a hi, how are you done the hall of fame? That's cool. But anything more than that, I just, you know, Brett was, Brett was Brett in a weird place. So let's, uh, let's mention that flair has pulled from the North Charleston show, even after him and Orton had their match, which saw the audience grow 1.2 million viewers. Um, what's the thinking here? What, what, what was, was Rick tough to do business with here? Or was it just creative trying to jam too much into one show? Why does he get pulled? Do you recall? I, I really don't. And probably nothing more than you, you had that time, only two hours of show to fill and you don't want to beat everything to death every single week. So other than that, I can't really think not. Nah, I, I don't remember Rick being difficult to deal with during this time at all. Um, Meltzer would say backstage, Vince made the announcement of Hogan, Foley, Bischoff, Stratus, and Austin coming in next week. And it was done so nonchalantly that you almost feel like he was making names up. It was amazing as they couldn't have done less to promote the Hogan return. I find it fascinating that he's really hammering this point home in the observer, because as we said, it's not like he's coming back to wrestle a bunch of matches. It's just a, Hey, reunion type show, right? Exactly. And I think the same thing, you know, could have been argued for some cold Steve Austin, not making a bigger deal out of that. And again, what are you going to do with them? And it's great to have them there for an anniversary because they were a, an enormous part of Monday night raw. So they should be there, but yeah, beyond that, it's, it's like, okay, what else, you know, what are you going to do? Then you make a huge deal out of it, make it the focal point. Then what? We're going to WrestleMania, right? You know, on the other side of the new year, that's WrestleMania season. And we're going to put, uh, put our foot on the gas. Hornswoggle is going to beat coachman in Carlito in a handicap match in a minute and 16 seconds. And this was a backdrop for JBL and Simmons to reunite as the APA. Uh, when, uh, when Swoggle says he's got himself protection, here comes the APA. Meltzer would say it got a reaction, but not nearly what you'd think. Besides JBL plays a total heel every week on SmackDown and here he's a face, which is just weird. And their beat down on Carlito and coachman looked terrible, but at least it was short enough. JBL laid out coachman with a clothesline coachman did not want to take it as he turned away from the move, which made it look bad. And they threw Hornswoggle on top of coachman for the pin. JBL then did a promo talking about he's on. Every weeknight with Neil Cavuto on the Fox Biz, Fox News Business Channel, and mentioned that he announced every Friday night on SmackDown. And when he was done, Ron Simmons, of course, said, "Damn, you love this shit, don't you? Working with uh, Ron Simmons and uh, a little person <laughs> and, and JBL. This is just like this job was made for Bruce Pritchard. Yes, yes, it was awesome. I, I love how Mustard says." Coachman didn't want to take the clothesline. Who does? Coachman wasn't a wrestler. 
Who wants he to take that? He wasn't a wrestler, but who wants to take it? No. no. Oh, my God. Nobody wants to take it. Easy. Easy. Fuck, I don't want to take, to take it. But also, they forget, Coachman wasn't a worker. Right. That wasn't what he did. No. You know, so please, I'd love to give a clothesline to that guy. Let me just say, I don't want to. No, thank you. No. <laughs> Uh, I can arrange it. No, thanks. I'm good. I've actually oh, asked him okay. about it before and he goes, well, there's a right way and a wrong way. And I yeah. was thinking to myself, self, don't ever find yourself needing to take it the wrong way. Yeah. I'll uh, take it. I'm sure you would. He'd take care of you. No, nah, not necessarily. It would depend on what day of the week it was. Uh, the next set of ECW and SmackDown tapings, Kofi Kingston is promoted and he's going to debut. And it's crazy to see him 15 years later back in NXT being a tag team champ, but here it is, man. Um, I don't think anybody would have necessarily predicted what the future held for him. I think everybody thought, man, this guy's a super athletic, good, young, handsome performer. This is going to be quite a career, but man, new day just took off. Yeah. And then I, I go back and remember watching the first vignettes of new day and um, the first ones were with Xavier in the white suit and everything, and they were so well done. Nobody knew what it was going to be. Right. But I, I remember being real happy for Xavier because I'd only had like maybe one encounter with him, but he was one of those guys that just had fire and passion and, and everybody liked, everybody liked him. It was consequent. What was it? Consequences creed. Yes, that's right. And so I was happy for him to be in that spot. And I was intrigued by the whole new day gimmick. I thought it was pretty cool. But Kofi at this time, you know, it was the whole Jamaica, Jamaica man. And, um, that was something we kind of came up with down in Florida championship wrestling. We made it work. We made it work. Miz and Morrison are going to be put together. Uh, and Meltzer would even compare that to, uh, Gino Hernandez and Tully Blanchard. As just being heels, hateable, handsome, good looking, smack talking heels. Quite a comparison, Gino and Tully to uh Miz and Morrison here. At that time, that would be an absurd comparison, in my opinion, because Gino and Tully were two top single heels that got together and made an incredible tag team that you know, it, it, and on their own right, I don't think that Miz and Morrison at this point in their career, they weren't established anywhere close to the way that Gino and Tully were in their careers when they became a tag team. So that comparison is a little weird. That one's out there, but, um, without a doubt, I thought that, uh, I got put in charge of Morrison and Miz with their dirt sheet thing that they did on this thing called the internet. <laughs> and no, like nobody wanted to mess with it. Nobody wanted to fuck with it at all. And I wasn't really sure. And, and they were getting heat, man. They were getting heat from the boys that would, you know, look and see, they're exposed to the business. They're doing this. They're doing that. But when I saw the kind of reaction it got from the boys in the back, and I watched a few of them, and I'm thinking, man, I don't like this. This isn't for me. But that's not who, who they were talking to. Right. And I sat down with them. I said, guys, this is my ass now because – you're my assignment now. I'm going to let you go do it. You go do it. Don't do anything stupid. Right. And I'm going to trust you on this because the numbers 
were showing, man, people were watching it. People were going to this internet thing, www.wwf. or E at the time. Yeah, we were E by then. You know, yeah, it was, um, they were a little ahead of their time, and I thought they, they did a damn good job. No doubt. Uh, on SmackDown, we see Michael Hayes in the VIP lounge to plug the brand new world-class DVD. That's going to be coming out. Of course, the VIP lounge is the, uh, the Piper's pit type segment for MVP. Uh, we love talking about Michael Hayes here on the program. Shout out to Michael, who, as I understand it is uh, still recuperating and recovering from a new shoulder gimmick. He got put in. Talk to me about how much he enjoyed being on TV, even in 2007. Well, fuck, you want ratings or don't you? Put me on, let me moonwalk a little bit. You know, shit, dude, dude, dude. That's what I do. I do, do, do. And all that shit. Fuck, man, Michael loved that shit. Michael loved trying to jump over the top rope. <laughs> Notice I said try to jump over the top rope. Um, look, a good promo guy never dies because they always got their mouth. And Michael was not a good promo guy. Michael was a great promo guy. Yes. So putting Michael in the ring and putting a microphone in his hand is never going to be bad television. It's going to be entertaining television. That's for sure. So I take that back. It may be bad, but it'll damn sure be entertaining. It will be entertaining. Uh, be, be bad like bad street. B-A-double-D. Bad street, Atlanta, G-A. Bad street in the whole USA. Bad street. Nasty and hot. The further down the block with the batter, it got to do, 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 do. Yeah. Show me that hand movement again. But <laughs> no, no, not that one. Michael Hayes, that, you know, when he oh, was this the, the free bird shit. You did it perfect yeah. the first time. You did it on beat and everything. It was like, damn, look at Bruce. Got a little rhythm over there. Oh, fuck yeah. Dude, dude. So there you go. Uh, if you're missing out, you're, you're missing out. You got to see the video, something to wrestle.com. So at the 15th anniversary of raw, we see the likes of Eric Bischoff, Trish Stratus, Steve Austin, Mick Foley, Lita, even Sonny is back along with Rob Van Dam. The show does a 4.08 rating, which is 5.78 million viewers, which is the highest rated episode since June 18th, uh, which was the episode coming off of the Vince death angle. It's the highest rated Monday night raw going against Monday night football since 2005. Man, nostalgia works in wrestling, as we say here on Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, does it not? I think nostalgia works with everything, but yes. uh, it's kind of what we're built on, isn't it? Yes. We do nostalgia and shit. Yes, we do. Doot, doot. Uh, Cody Rhodes is going to win his first title here, teaming with Bob Holly to win the Raw Tag Team titles from Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch. Uh, and it seemed designed more for dusty Rhodes to hug his son as dusty was positioned more prominently than the new champions. That's according to the write-up in the observer. I don't know about that. Uh, but man, we've spent a lot of time on this show talking about dusty Rhodes. Can you imagine how thrilled dusty would be with what Cody is doing? Well, what Cody did this year, rather. Of course. Yeah. That's yeah. his son, man. Uh, that's his baby boy. So dreaming, looking down, smiling. On little stardust himself down there doing all that shit and everything, getting funky like a monkey, if you will. But look, yeah, it was a great spot for Dusty. It's a great spot for a proud papa to hug his baby boy, and everybody can feel that. Meltzer would say when it was over, much of the talk regarded what Hogan said as he talked about 
the WWE being the greatest organization in the world and came across like he was positioning himself for another comeback. He did an angle with the great Kali, which at one time was planned for last year's WrestleMania. He got a great response, but did not get the best response of the show or tear the house down. Like he did in previous comebacks. His interaction with Kali was terrible, such as Kali blocking punches. He wasn't supposed to and selling the blocked punches. They teased a slam, but she didn't get it. Leaving things open-ended for a later confrontation. Hogan never hinted at doing anything with Steve Austin and left saying, never say never. Oh yeah. And the last two words, of course, in a Randy Savage voice. This is pretty odd. Looking back the idea that we might do something with Hogan and Kali and then the Randy Savage voice. What do you, uh, what do you remember of this? Well, it's, you know, I think Hulk always will look at, uh, everything through the goggles of 1987 Yes, and Hulk versus Andre and slam heard around the world. Um, no matter what anybody says, that was the best match on that card because it's what drew that card. It's yes. what drew 93,000 people and, uh, set records everywhere to see that match. So nobody can ever take that away from Hulk, but I think Hulk has always wanted to rekindle that magic and to find another giant to slay. So that was his intent with the big show, you know, here I got a big, big giant, a big monster. I've got to beat the big monster with the Yeti, with every other guy that was over uh six, nine that he could find. Uh, Kali was a giant. Kali was a legit, I think seven, seven, uh, big man, huge, huge man. <laughs> I think in, in Hulk's world, he saw, he saw dollar signs and saw, all right, you know, um, here's another giant I can conquer. But I think Terry was the only one that really saw that. And I think there was something to, you know, here to be able to promote to that, to be able to have um, Hulk Hogan and another giant in 2007, you know, 30 years later was kind of intriguing. Just what's up. What's up with the giant Kali, right? What's up with the savage voice? I know that some people may get their timelines confused. This is four years before Savage passes away. If Savage had just passed away, I could see it as an homage or whatever, but here it just feels kind of weird. Who knows? It was probably just Hogan in his mind. If, if you're going to see him, yeah, you got to see him. <laughs> no. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Freak yeah. up. Let us see it any other way. That's how you see him. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Something else here from the notes. Dig it. Oh, sorry. But of the cameos, the only one we've heard talk about in regard to interest is Sitch. John Laurinaitis talked with her about doing segments on 24 seven and wanted contact information. She looked like a very attractive 35 year old, but she showed more charisma walking to the ring than most of the women on the roster. We see a video here or footage here, a still photo. If you're watching on YouTube, something Russell.com, she did look more like the old Sonny than we had ever seen at that point. Uh, and this of course is before she had some more troubles with the law in, in more recent years. Uh, did you think, Hey man, there might be an opportunity here and, and, and why didn't it turn into more? Why doesn't it always turn into more with Tammy? Uh, you know, I think Tammy's her own worst enemy in, in that regard, but nobody's going to ever say that, Hey, Tammy wasn't a beautiful young lady and 
that she didn't have charisma out the wazoo. Uh, very charismatic. And again, man, she was she was on. She was on. But unfortunately, the human being behind the sunny character, Tammy Sitch, is, just wasn't that reliable and, and had a appetite for destruction. So it, it just was like, yeah, you don't want to go there. That's not something you want to invest in. On the show, there's a ladder match between Jeff and Carlito with Jeff winning. You loaded this show up, man. I mean, what a show. And then we would have a legends battle Royal where Al snow doing the head gimmick, Bart gun, doink the clown who Meltzer thinks is probably played by Steve Kern repo man, the goon, Steve Blackman, Pete gas, Bob Backlund, um, IRS flash funk Gangrel. Scotty too hottie, Jim Neidhart, Sergeant slaughter, Gilberg, Ted DiBiase wins it in four minutes and six seconds. He would say nobody looked good, but nobody was put in a position to look good. Rotunda is who's 49 was looking pretty heavy. He lasted until the end. Maybe the biggest pop was Scotty doing the worm. IRS threw out slaughter to win and DiBiase came out, gave IRS a wad of cash. He put it in his loaded up briefcase. And IRS stepped over the top, leaving DiBiase as the last guy. You know, uh, I gotta wonder where. Why no brother love here? You know, I, I don't think I was only on Raw like a handful of times, maybe like four or five times that I can ever even remember. Six times with the uh, anniversary show I did in Brooklyn. Yeah. So I don't, yeah, I wasn't really on raw a whole lot. What does that matter? Well, I didn't want to be in it. <laughs> okay. So there's that. <laughs> there's that. That's probably the biggest reason right there. Well, like, ah, my you, bumping days were over. You just didn't enjoy it. Enjoy bumping. What well, enjoy my age. Well, I mean, how much bumping is there? Jesus Christ. Okay, well, I got to get my fat ass over the top rope and go to the floor. Okay, so that's one too many. I tell you what, you show me how to do that at fifty years old. No, you know, no, I wasn't. I don't. Got it. My old, my old body just I didn't want to do that anymore. Meltzer would say Eric Bischoff came out with Steve Martin hair. He was a complete heel, faking like he was crying and basically insulting everyone. He said the fans need people like him to reinvent the business constantly and keep it going. Meltzer would say one time in 1996, isn't constantly Chris Jericho came out. They played up the idea that Bischoff fired him in 05. He insulted Bischoff's added weight and haircut. They went back and forth until Jericho punched Bischoff. Orton comes out, attacks Jericho. And, uh, eventually he puts Orton in a Boston crab. Orton was tapping Jericho, let him go and motioned like he's wearing the belt. Your old pal, Eric Bischoff, whenever he popped up, he made sure to, uh, have some fun. I think he was maybe one of the best sort of random one-off appearance names that we could pull out of a hat and no, it's going to be a somewhat entertaining segment with him out there. He's just a natural. Always. Yeah. Yeah. He, he gets a lot of heat. He's uh, pretty good at it. He knows how to be hateable. Yes, very much so. Very Next much up, so. Mr. Kennedy is going to pin Marty Janetti with the downward spiral. No, that's not to describe Marty's life or career. That's the name of the move. 
Four minutes and 40 seconds. Meltzer would say this was very far from the Janetti return against Kurt Angle in a similar situation a few years back. He was moving a lot slower and people didn't seem to care about it at all. It was not good and really kind of depressing. The sad thing is when guys are clowns and didn't get over with the work, you can bring them back and they can still be clowns. But when a guy was mainly a really good worker and they get old and can't work, they don't have much left. It's worse when it's a good worker who got by on his rock star looks and now he's old. Kennedy beat on him until Michaels made the save. Michaels was moving very gingerly down the ramp for his run in. His knees are in the worst shape they've ever been. After Michaels ran off Kennedy, Triple H came out and they did a mini DX reunion that got over well. This is Marty Jannetty's what? 13th, 14th run? Man, at this pace, you could get fired like a dozen more times and, and you still got opportunities, dude. Sure. But I wasn't a rocker. No, you weren't. See, I think if you're a rocker, that 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 behavior is somewhat acceptable as rocker because they expect that out of you. Yes. And so you can come on back and, and do that all over again. But Vince, he, had, he had a few more after this, didn't he? Uh, we're not done. Yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. All right. Vince winds up closing the show with Austin Undertaker and Foley coming out with stunners and Socko uh, claws and, and tombstones. I mean, this is what people wanted, you know, more of what they saw in, I guess, 98 and 99. And it comes out in the news and notes that uh, JBL is going to be returning as a full time wrestler. Now, Kevin Dunn has been auditioning people with Michael Cole to be a new uh, broadcast partner, but Meltzer would say, I'm really surprised because JBL has so much going on when it comes to investments and his spot on the Fox business channel that it surprised me. He'd make a comeback. What, uh, what do you think made JBL think, man, I need one more run here. He loves this. He always, you know, I mean, you can be the richest man in the world, but you're still going to want to have that juice. You're still going to want to get back in that ring one more time. If, if you're in any kind of shape, and John was still in pretty good shape. Yeah. He was young and you know, why not? So he felt he had another run in him. He felt that he still had, you know, some more bumps on his bump card. John wanted to come back, but uh, Look, I think that successful people, when you look at it, yeah, he had the Fox gig. He was a very financial, uh, very financial, very successful uh, investment banker and always smart with his finances and is a brilliant guy. So those type of people are never satisfied just doing one or two things. You know what? Uh, JBL, somebody that uh, I used to talk to a lot more regularly. I need to make sure that I sent him a Christmas present this year, and I know just the thing to get him. Tis the season for clean balls. Fa la 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 la. This is not a rib. I know we're known for shaving eyebrows and whatnot here in wrestling. What about your ball bag, son? Our friends at Manscaped are helping you clear your driveway for safe travels this holiday season. From stocking stuffers to white elephants, Manscaped's products are at the top of every wish list. Grab some crop mops for your pops or the body buffer for the holiday lover and win this year's white elephant gift and help with the men in your life. Help them go from eggnog to nice hog this December. They have 20% off plus free shipping by going to manscaped.com forward slash STW. Manscaped really is a one-stop shop for all your holiday needs. They got the perfect gift. In the Platinum Package 4.0, 
plus a bunch of little perfect presents we call stocking stuffers. All the liquid formulations from Manscaped are home runs. Shampoos, body washes, deodorant for your armpits or your ball sack. I got two types, y'all. Gels, exfoliants, absolutely everything you could need to keep it clean, Janine. Don't let their chestnuts roast in the wrong boxers. Get them a pair of Manscapes boxers. Gonna keep that area cool, provide holiday comfort all year long. And hey, who doesn't have some uh some family member with some nasty nose hairs? Save his life with the weed whacker, nose and ear hair trimmer. Maybe you got an uncle Tony Shivani that needs to cut his damn pinky nail. You don't want to look like you got an uncle with a Coke nail. Get him shears 2.0. It's got scissors, clippers, tweezers, even a file for the traveling man. Maybe you want to be a fake outdoorsman like Eric Bischoff. We'll get the preserve cologne. It's going to give you a light, breezy, woodsy feel. Going to keep that tree scent going even after Christmas is over. Are you still using a dirty ass loofah filled with bacteria and dead skin? Throw it out. Get the body buffer. It feels smoother, but acts tougher. And who could forget the lawnmower 4.0? It's the perfect gift to trim uncle Bob's nasty, gnarly coconut nuts. And it's known for reducing nicks and cuts on his Santa sack. Thanks to the old skin safe technology. Why not save 20% and get free shipping by going to manscaped.com forward slash S T W that's right. 20% off plus free shipping by going to manscaped.com forward slash STW manscaped for a perfect gift. That will be the holidays biggest hit. I mean, you haven't lived until you gave your aunt or uncle or somebody like that in your life, a fun gift from manscaped. They're going to remember it. They're going to talk about it. And it's the gift that keeps on giving because they're going to want to try it out. They're going to want to see what happens after you need to see what happens after go to manscaped.com forward slash S T W. So let's talk about the, uh, December 7th SmackDown and ECW crew flight from Frankfurt, Germany to Zurich, Switzerland. You come just seconds from disaster that would have literally cost the entire crew, their lives. There's a, a flight landing and a plane comes out of nowhere on the runway, right in front. The pilot of the plane carrying the wrestlers was thankfully not just alert, but quick enough on the draw to do an immediate emergency takeoff just before there would have been a crash. He had to basically leapfrog a plane on the runway. One non-wrestler on the flight called it the scariest thing he's ever experienced in 25 years of flying. And after the show, which was the final night of the tour, everyone was seemingly back to normal. And there's a lot of heavy partying and drinking and celebrating before heading home. This doesn't get nearly the play as like a, a plane ride from hell. But this is a scary story that I've heard people talk about. What do you remember hearing about it? I think if you travel enough, you're always going to come across some scary stories at times. Um, you know, as silly as it sounds, it's uh, another day at the office, really. Um, I think that, again, we're on, we're on planes every day a lot of times, especially at that time frame where – you were on a plane every day and it just, um, eventually things, crazy things are going to happen. And luckily, you know, uh, they got out of it and everything was okay. But, uh, that's just, that's just being on the road. I, I don't, I hate to make light of it, but it's, it's one of those things that, uh, if you're on the road enough, you're going to come across it. Well, I'll tell you this, the other crew, uh, is actually going to do a tribute to the troop show over in Iraq. 
And while they're going, there's a chopper that's got Dean Malenko, Mickey James, Carlito, Chris Jericho, JBL, and Ron Simmons. And somehow the chopper gets damaged in a landing and all six of the talent here are stranded for five hours in Iraq. In Iraq. It's a war zone where there's fires and smoke bombs and razor wire everywhere. And the guys are going to pass the time hanging out with the soldiers in a unsecure location. But my goodness, this is, uh, I mean, listen, it is what it is. If you're going to sign up to do tribute to the troops, where are the troops? They're, they're there. Well, I think that the, you know, the most important thing to point out and, and tribute to the troops, God doesn't get enough credit for it is John Layfield. Yes. It was John's idea. Uh, John and the Sergeant major. Oh, I've got that picture around here somewhere that made this all happen. And, you know, Bob Hope used to do the USO show every year. Yes. And Bob Hope would do his big shows where he would go around and entertain the troops and war zones and things. But Bob would always go and the celebrities that would go, they would always go to staging areas, if you will, not into the battle zones. And one of the things when we started this was, yes, we want to be able to go over and entertain our troops that are protecting our country overseas. And we want to go over and entertain them, but we want to go to the guys that are on the front lines. We want to go to those soldiers that are the ones that are not able to go to the staging areas, those guys that are not uh, able to come in and see the matches that are stationed right there that are doing the fighting that have bullets and whizzing over their heads every single day and bombs going off all around them. And that was everybody that signed up for this knew that this is what we're going to do. And, the talent that went took pride in doing that. They took pride in being able to go somewhere. And these folks in particular, um, it was, it was in a war zone and there was a war happening folks. So they came in under gunfire and the helicopter was damaged. And, and this is just one instance that people talked about, but when they got there, the, looks on the soldiers' faces of just like, oh, my God, you know, I haven't seen a face from home, much less somebody that I've seen on television and, and have watched all these years. And you're you're out here with me where I'm risking my life every day, and you're risking your life to come out and make my day a little bit better. So when they looked at, hey, being stranded for five hours, it was five hours of enjoyment that they were able to give to the troops that were out there making us all safe back at home. And nobody looked at it as, you know, oh, this is this horrible thing of being stuck out here for five hours. They looked at it as a time to be able to spend with the troops and the troops looked at it that way as well. So, you know, it's a pretty cool thing when you think about it. Um, thank goodness, you know, we're, we're not in any really active wars right now that we can go there, but we still do tribute to the troops and try and give back to our men and women in the armed forces and come to them and entertain them wherever we can. But during, you know, during those times as the early times of tribute to the troops was, it's just such pride, man, that we were able to go to the front lines. We were able to go to those men and women that were out there risking their life every day. And that was some pretty cool shit. 
super cool stuff. Uh, shout out to everybody who was involved at that. Um, I guess we should also say, even though a lot of folks think of the Royal rumble as sort of like the, the way we kick off WrestleMania season, it really starts here at Armageddon because there's a lot of creative changes before the show. Um, Meltzer would write that whatever plans they had for WrestleMania were sort of revisited ahead of this show. Is it normal that you guys back in the day, let's we'll call it the late eighties, early nineties, you'd start having those conversations towards the end of the year, or would you do it the prior WrestleMania and work backwards? All the above. Okay. You would try to do it the prior WrestleMania and work backwards. Yeah. But at the same time, every single day presents new opportunity. So every single day you're reevaluating, is that the best attraction? Is that the best story and the best way to go? So you're evaluating and reevaluating and trying to make it better. So you may have had the greatest plan in the world. So you thought, you know, Hulk Hogan versus Sheik Tugboat. But as you get closer to it, you realize, eh, it's not that good. So, yes, I mean, it was constantly being reevaluated and revisited and looking at, ah, what else can we do to make this better? Let's talk a little bit about, um, Armageddon's buy rate. It does a hundred thousand purchases less than survivor series. It's hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that survivor series was a big draw just on the brand name, but it is a critical success here. This Armageddon show 79% of the readers of the wrestling observer gave it a thumbs up. And while the business may not be necessarily in a boom, it's a sold out show in Pittsburgh, over 11,000 paid. Let's get into the show. We got, uh, Ray Mysterio in the first match out. He's going to pick up a win over MVP. They go 11 minutes and 29 seconds, but Ray wins by count out. So MVP retains the U S title. Is this, uh, a bit of a styles clash here with uh, a high flyer? And I don't know how we would describe MVP style, but I don't normally, when I think of great opponents for Ray Mysterio, think of that here. But man, they did a good job. It's a three star yeah, match I here. I don't look at it as a styles clash. I look at it as is two great entertainers and two guys that can go different styles. Yes, but I didn't think it was a clash. And I think that you know Ray in particular is somebody that is able to adapt whatever it is he's doing in the ring to whoever he's in the ring with. And sometimes guys in the ring can't adapt to Ray, but I think Ray always um, goes that extra step to make sure that it works. What do you think about the, the finish here? This is the opening match on a pay-per-view. We know normally put Ray in that spot. He's going to deliver. I think most guys delivered for sure. Yeah. But it's a count out where Mysterio is going to get back in the ring to beat the count, but MVP just sort of stands there knowing, well, if I lose, I still keep my title. It's old school heel stuff. I get it. But I think some folks, if they're forking out pay-per-view money, they may say, oh, this is bullshit. Let's say you. I say that it's a heel finish yeah. and it, you know, it's a, it fit MVP's character and it fit who he was. It was that point of, Oh, do I go in and continue this risk <laughs> losing my title anymore? I have an opportunity. I just walk away and I can walk away and still be the champion. So I thought it fit his character and it was uh, the most exciting finish. Probably not. No, but they all can't be uh, over the top crazy finishes. Next up, Big Daddy V and Mark Henry are going to team up to beat Kane and CM Punk in 10 minutes and 33 seconds. Meltzer would say after watching this year's worst feud on ECW, I was dreading this match, but they were smart and that both Henry and V are terrible when it comes to standing there and doing 
give and take close range stuff. So they avoided what they were weak at and the crowd wasn't much into it. The early part saw V and Henry beat down on punk. Kane gets hot tagged in, but was soon selling. It was built to punk's hot tag and he did stiff knees in the corner on V went for a springboard move, but V caught punk on his shoulders and delivered a Samoan drop for the pin two and a quarter stars. This feels like a fever dream. I just don't even understand how these guys get put together. I understand it made sense at the time, but this just feels like we just put wrestlers in a fucking hat or something. Well, no, it was part of the, you know, ECW brand. And it was a story that was part of ECW and, you know, yeah, it made sense at the time. I think the biggest thing that in looking back, you know, big daddy V people like to make fun of him. Oh, Hey, Mabel, Mabel, he's a, third guy or whatever the hell it was. Um, it's Mabel, Big Daddy V. And I think the Big Daddy V version of it, people were like, oh, shit. Because he was a big, big man. And he could move impressively well for that big of a man. So regardless of people, going, oh, he was a shit, he did this and stuff. The audience believed when he did shit because it looked like it hurt probably did, but it was, it was something that he had the look. He had a very unique look and the audience. I think the audience believed it. So the fact that we couldn't get beyond that, um, it just, you know, it never really gelled. And I think everybody that he got in the ring with that probably was a styles clash because that was hard V was big daddy visceral was not talented enough to work around and adapt to everybody else's style. You had to adapt to his. So it, it just, you know, I, I don't want to discount Viscera's contributions in yeah. the place. Yeah, his contributions. So eh, but the match sucked because <laughs> it was what it was. I love you for that. Yeah. I mean, you're basically, it was an L stinker. Hey guys, stop sleeping on big Viss. All right. He had value. He, he can contribute. So anyway, his match here fucking then the bell rang. <laughs> People have been sleeping on, uh, on viscera too long. Uh, but you and I we're sleeping better than ever. Thanks to chili sleep. You see science tells us the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering our core body temperature. Temperature controlled sleep repairs your muscles after a hard day's work and improves your cognitive function. So you always start your day feeling sharp and alert and sleep. Me is the new home for chili sleep. I used it right before we recorded today, took a power nap. I got that deep sleep fast. You see chili sleep. Now sleep me design systems to help you fall asleep, fall asleep, stay asleep and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. It's done that for me. Prior to chili sleep, I was sleeping, I don't know, five, six, seven hours a night at most. If I got seven, it was like high fives all around. Now it's more like seven, eight, nine, no getting up to pee, no fussing and fighting with the covers, no cranking down the AC, man. I'm having deep sleep. How do deep I'm dreaming for the first time ever. Chili sleep makes the Uller, the cube and the doc pro sleep system. Either way, we're talking water-based temperature controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide you your ideal sleep temperature. I can't recommend this enough. I mean, this fits over your existing mattress guys. Don't overthink it. It's going to give you the perfect temperature because everybody's perfect temperature is different, right? Think of this as like a smart thermostat for your bed. 
They just launched a brand new Doc Pro sleep system. It's two times more cold power than the other models. It's whisper quiet. It's got a tubeless mattress pad design. It's going to allow for five times more cooling contact. You can even pair it with the new sleep.me app for enhanced device control and sleep scheduling. So head on over to sleep.me forward slash wrestle to learn more and save 25% off the purchase of any new Doc Pro, Cube, or Uller sleep system. This offer is available exclusively for something to wrestle with listeners and only for a limited time. That's sleep, S L E E P dot M E slash wrestle, sleep.me forward slash wrestle to take advantage of our exclusive discounts and wake up feeling refreshed every day. Next up, we got Shawn Michaels pinning Mr. Kennedy. Yeah, there you go. Sleep me. Come on. Yeah. Shawn Michaels gets uh, the win over Mr. Kennedy in 15 minutes and 16 seconds. They did a spot where Michael stepped on Kennedy's hand and Kennedy sold the hand, which played a part in the finish. Kennedy would ram Michaels back into the post and start working on it. Michaels comes back, including a backdropping Kennedy over the top rope and elbowing off the top rope. Uh, and then he goes for the super kick. Kennedy reverses him into a schoolboy for a near fall. Then he goes forward for the fireman's carry drop, but Michaels reverses it into a Toyota roll for a near fall. Several more near falls until Kennedy goes to punch Michaels with his bad hand, sells the idea he heard it, and then bam, Michaels nails the super kick and gets the win. Three and a half stars. Not a bad match. Not maybe the match that people were hoping for that would be a a breakout match for Kennedy. But I think uh, it was probably impossible for Sean to have a bad match here. What do you think of this one? Oh, it was a good match. I thought it was a good match, and, and it was an opportunity here, as we talked about Kennedy earlier, where it gave you hope. Yeah. It gave you hope, man. He, you know, he can get there to that next step. And then, you know, I think that the naysayers would go back and go, oh, yeah, but he's in there with Sean. Yes. So instead of giving Ken the benefit of the doubt, it was like, yeah, but he's in there with Sean. You know, anybody can have a, have a good match with Sean. So I I thought that the match was good. And I thought the story was good. And again, Ken was able to, to go in there and sell in a way that was believable and told a great story. I, I love those little detail things in matches that you can go back to and that makes sense and callbacks from earlier in the match. And this was an opportunity where two guys were able to go out, tell a story and tell it all the way through to the end where it all made sense. Jeff Hardy is going to pin triple H in 15 minutes and 23 seconds to get a title shot at the Royal rumble. And the story here is that Hardy was holding back with the idea. It was a clean match and triple H was trying to get into step, take the step and fight him. The negative is the crowd was pretty quiet. Most of the way, it seemed they didn't really want to take sides. They liked triple H more, but nobody wants to boo Hardy. So they were kind of lifeless and it hurt the match a little, you know, the finish would see Hardy miss a swanton triple H goes for the pedigree. Hardy grabs both the legs, flips over, gets the pin three and a quarter stars. But Meltzer would say triple H was very clever in the sense. The entire match was worked with the idea that triple H was the star. And even after he lost, instead of showing disappointment or selling that he lost an important match, he left smile smiling as if to say, see, I can do a clean job with a wink. What the fuck? Fuck you. Or is it, is it the heel or the star going again? God damn it. The guy got me, man. Yes. See that that's the negativity and shit that I hate 
with the Meltzer that reads into things and wants to just put negativity into people's mind that just isn't there because they don't understand the business, but then they sell themselves as someone that does. And here's an illustration perfectly of someone that doesn't. I, uh, I, I totally agree with you. Like in watching this back, I didn't get the vibe. See, I can do a clean job that it, it, it felt more like he got me. Damn it. Didn't think he could, but he did. It was almost like a smirk that way. Not look, I can lose. I, I don't know. It, yeah. It was, it was putting Jeff over Yeah, and like, yeah, damn it. All right. Yeah, that was a good one. You got me now this time. It's not going to get me again. Because they were both baby faces. Yeah. So that's just an idiot showing everyone how truly ignorant they are. Next up, Fit Finley and Greg Kali. Star and a quarter. Meltzer would say it's the weakest thing on the show, but boy, it could have been a lot worse. It was never that really abysmal, clueless Kali spot. The only bad thing was when Kali did that one spinning kick thing he does that usually looks good. And this time they were in the wrong position and Kali didn't turn as much. So he just sort of stuck his foot out star and a quarter, uh, Hornswoggle is going to give Kali a low blow with a shillelagh behind the referee, Charles Robinson's back. Finley then cracks Kali with a shillelagh shot of his own and gets the pin six minutes and two seconds. Hey man, at least it was short. Pardon the pun. <laughs> yeah. And Hornswoggle gave him a low blow. Get it? Yes. That's what you said. I did. It wasn't me. And then you said the short thing. I didn't say that. Thank God it was short though. Yes. It, yeah. N- nothing else to say here. Chris Jericho is going to beat Randy Orton it's by really DQ. Not. Uh, Orton's <laughs> going to retain the WWE title in 15 minutes and five seconds. And Meltzer say, I thought even with the finish, it was the best match on the show. Certainly the best worked body of a match. The crowd was quiet early, but they ended up with the most heat on the show by the finish. Um, Eventually Orton's going to sidestep. And when he goes by Orton throws him into JBL, who's sitting at the SmackDown announcer's desk, JBL then throws a fit as Jericho gets up. He shoves JBL away. Orton later gets the advantage and he's going for the running kick. And as he threw the kick, Jericho sidesteps him. He gets the walls of Jericho on him. Orton struggles for the ropes, but Jericho pulls him to the center. And at this point, JBL hit the ring and kicked Jericho in the head. The post-match would see Orton lay Jericho out with the RKO three and a half stars. So Jericho wins by DQ, but of course, uh, Orton's the one standing when it's all said and done. So we know JBL Jericho is where this is going. I don't know, man, for this to be Jericho's big return, kind of shocking to have this finish, but maybe not. We just jump right into another story. Yeah. It's a way to, to get into another story logically and get him right into something that means something with a big heel and that being JBL. So that was the intent here. And I thought they had a tremendous match. So, you know, that helps. And then you're moving on over here to JBL and Jericho. So it made sense. We told a little story throughout the match to help get you there. And I thought it worked great. Next up, we've got Beth Phoenix retaining the women's title, beating Mickey James with a fisherman suplex in four minutes and 45 seconds. Meltzer would say they had no chance. The crowd was dead coming off the title match and putting them on this late in the show. The whole idea is they want to take the crowd down after, after a theoretical high. So the main event could get strong reactions in theory. It makes sense. Although it didn't work on this night. 
since the crowd seemed to burn out for the main event. James would get several near falls towards the end, and they did as bad as good as they could have star and a quarter. This is a tough spot for the women here. Obviously, I think some people refer to this spot in the match as a, or in, in a show as the popcorn match. So others would say a yeah. let me up match. Uh, I don't know. But that doesn't apply to a, to a pay-per-view and we, we try to keep the momentum going for a pay-per-view and for a live event. Absolutely. You would probably put something in there to kind of, uh, let people catch their breath and let them come back to their seats. If you will, that was the popcorn match. Popcorn match was the first match after the intermission and, or right before the main event. So it was, Hey, come on back. Come on back to your seats. Everybody get back. This was just, you know, a match needed. I think that no matter where you would have put this match, I think it probably still would have gotten the same reaction. It just, there wasn't a whole lot behind it and the audience wasn't that into it. And, you know, same thing with the, you know, the Kane tag team match. They just weren't into that either. And no matter where you would have put either of those matches, I don't think the audience would have reacted any differently than they did. Next up, we've got the main event. Edge is going to win the world title in a three-way over Undertaker and Batista in 13 minutes of a no DQ match, which was a step needed due to what they had planned. Meltzer would say the crowd seemed burned out after popping big for Undertaker and to a lesser extent, Batista's ring entrance. Michael Cole announced the main event with Taz as they got rid of JBL playing off his interference. I don't know what it is, but there's something about the SmackDown main event being put on last that seems to hurt the show. The crowd thinks of raw as the main brand and raw is the title. And that's the main event. After already seeing the main event, this came off as a little anticlimactic. What do you think of that description that fans felt like this is the secondary brand? I think that the talent felt that way. And I think that overall, probably the audience kind of felt that as well, but also there's the argument people always used to say, including the guy writing that article that, well, SmackDown has better matches and there's more intrigue and the better workers and all that other stuff. I just, again, uh, different audiences, different reactions every night. And to say that people looked at the raw brand is the premier brand. No argument there at all because the talent did the talent looked at it because raw was live. Raw was the stalwart, you know, and uh, SmackDown was, okay, it's over on UPN. It's CW, wherever it is. And they looked at that as, as a secondary brand think that those opinions have changed over the years. And I think that they look at them as equal brands and it was, I, I don't buy that. I don't buy that at all about the main event. Well, let's talk about it. Meltzer would say it was the usual WWE style three-way with guys doing finishers and the third man doing the save Batista power bombed edge and undertaker made the save edge uses a low blow and a DDT on Batista and undertaker pulls Mickey Henson out of the ring. Undertaker has edge up for a power bomb, but Batista spears undertaker as Batista goes to pin undertaker undertaker catches him in a triangle. And when you talk about the most not over finish by a superstar in history, it's the undertaker's triangle. The whole place went dead. The bell rang and nobody even popped because nobody knew what the hell he was even doing, even though he beat Kali with it on TV. So let's talk about that. The hell's gate, I think is what it's called. The uh, submission move that the undertaker's using in this era. 
You think fans weren't popping for it because they didn't understand it or more because man, they just want to see a tombstone or a chokeslam or a last ride. No, I don't think it had been established completely yet. Okay. And they hadn't seen it enough yet. So you have to do it several times to get to the point of establishing it. So to be able to do the bell and do the false finish like we wanted to do, a pin doesn't work there. Because you can see the count. You can see the one, two. Yes. If we'd rang a bell there, it wouldn't have worked. With a submission, it's did he tap? Did he not? And I think that the, the, the silence was more out of confusion, not knowing what, why'd they ring the bell? What happened? Because they didn't see Batista tap. Right. They didn't know what was happening. And that was the reaction that we wanted. We right. wanted confusion. We wanted people to go, what the fuck just happened? Yes. So the reaction he's talking about is exactly the way it was designed to go down. It's like, okay, you've got a clever heel out here who's now stopped the match, and okay, now we can get it restarted. But we were looking for that confusion in that particular instance. Well, here's what happens. It's Edge who rang the bell. So Undertaker breaks the hold, but Henson orders the match has to continue. Edge then spears Undertaker and follows by spearing Batista, but Batista kicked out. Undertaker went for the old school on Batista, but as he came off, Batista drilled him with a spine buster and then speared Edge out of the ring. At this point, there were two Edges, one of whom was one of the major brothers. One of them got nailed, and Undertaker and Batista traded big moves. And after a Batista clothesline, Undertaker did a reversal and hit a tombstone pile driver on Batista. And then the real edge came into the ring and hit the undertaker in the upper back with a chair and a second chair shot to the head, which looked mistimed to where it barely touched, but that's for the better. Anyway, edge then pinned a still out Batista for the title edge and the major brothers celebrated as the show went off the air, three stars, a big moment for the major brothers. What do you remember of this? Uh, maybe one of the more creative switches. I think we've only seen this with. At this point, doinks and the Kurt Angle switch before. What'd you think of this in execution? I thought it was tremendous. And it was somebody uh Edge had brought them to us. And it was it was Kurt Hawkins and, and Matt Cardona. It was it was just great. I mean, they were first of all, two great guys and, and students of the business that just wanted to be a part. And I remember when Edge came in, they put the the what are those the little hats that they wore, and um, I was like, son of a bitch, you got triplets, so it, it was pretty easy to do and kind of come up because you did have guys that looked the same, and it also was a way to give Edge more heat as a heel. Now he's got two guys that can go out there and bump around for him, so you're not always having to bump Edge around, and it was introducing two new talent. It's amazing. What an amazing way to do it. Shout out to those guys. Uh, love everything they're doing. Of course, we're talking about Matt Cardona and Brian Myers. Um, when this is over, uh, in hindsight, do you think this Batista title run was a disappointment? I don't know if it was a disappointment. It just was, it was something that wasn't, you know, humongous and, and long, long going. I, it just was, uh, it was different. I don't know that they can all be rated a success or a failure. It's just one of those things. Okay. Time to move on. How badly were you missing 
John Cena at this point? Uh, we were, we were, we were missing John big time. And, you know, John's just such an integral part of everything that we did. And you, you, you feel his you feel when he's not there, his presence is sorely missed. Well, I'll tell you what, we've sorely missed you on the program. We're glad we got together today. Next week, we'll be back talking about the infamous box of gimmicks. We're going to discuss the worst gimmicks in the WWF's history. Uh, and we want you to use either hashtag ask Bruce. If you've got a question for the show or hashtag box of gimmicks, speaking of which box of gimmicks is where you can get some fun, something to wrestle swag to support the show. Easiest way to support the show though, is to go, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel at something to wrestle.com. Uh, some little bonus content coming up there as well. Uh, we got tons of questions about this show. I don't think we'll get to them all. Bruce, let's rapid fire a few. John C wants to say, was Jericho always the planned opponent for Orton right after his return? Seemed like an audible was called after Cena got hurt months prior. Um, uh, I believe it was after Cena got hurt. Yeah. We had to change things up. Uh, Steve Clark wrestling says, do you think Bruce, uh, does Bruce think one day viscera will get into the hall of fame someday? Would he go in as Viscera, King Mabel, or Mabel? Well, you know, especially after the tirade I had earlier on, but I don't think Viscera had a Hall of Fame career. Johnny T. Great says, did anyone else feel as if the Raw 15th anniversary as the Go Home show was better? Looking After looking at the talent of that epic Raw, were there ever any plans to book? I am Pete Gas at the pay-per-view. Buddy, a Pete Gas return in 07, I was here for it. All right. You were the one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Umar says, uh, Bruce was Jericho ever seriously considered to win the WWE championship. So do you think there, there could have been a scenario where we went with him here or was that not really uh, at this point? No. Yeah. No, not at that point, but Jericho had, had great runs, man. Is this a, is this one of those? He didn't need it type calls. Well, I, again, it was just too soon and it was just getting him stat, started back and back into the swing of things. Now, our friend of the show who sent us both beautiful paintings once upon a time, Luke from Eastern Iowa says this show was the final I have it up in my office at the office. This show was the final WWE pay-per-view to be shot in standard definition, but the Royal rumble in January being the first in the new HD format with the new HD cameras coming into play. What was it like finally to be able to see the HD clarity and size of Batista's dick? I'm taking his picture down. <laughs> the, the, painting, the painting's going in the shredder. Tuesday morning. I love it so much. You know, here's the thing. I thought, man, what a, I love his questions. And he did bring up a great call. This is the Don't last ever one. ask another no. one. <laughs> I didn't see it coming. Even myself. I didn't see it coming. Uh, I want to give a little peek behind the curtain before we wrap it up. You recently called me and told me that you were going to personally kill Eric Bischoff. And it's because he had not yet sent you a copy of his brand new book. Grateful it's er written by Eric Bischoff and guy Evans, the guy who wrote the fabulous nitro book. It's available now over on Amazon. Just cruise on over to amazon.com and uh, just type in grateful Eric Bischoff. Bam. There it is. Tons of five-star reviews. You have to do all that. You have to do that. I'm or you can do. go to bischoffbook.com, but Amazon, man, they got it on your Kindle. They got, uh, salt, they got hard covers. They got paperbacks. They got everything. Can I put my credit card in. No, you could just do the little button on the side. Just boop, boop. No, 
Uh, we'd love to have your interactions on social. I am a, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. Bruce is at Bruce Pritchard, but he'll never respond to you. He hasn't tweeted since 2017. Uh, and my Instagram is a, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad Thompson. Uh, you can also go ahead and follow the show. That's the easiest thing to do. It's at Pritchard show on Twitter and Instagram. That's at Pritchard show. And of course we're something to wrestle on Facebook. Uh, man, this was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun today talking about Armageddon 07. Uh, overall, this was a well-reviewed show by the, uh, the readers of the wrestling observer, and I'd give it a slight thumbs up. I mean, it was action packed start to finish. What say you thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. We had, we had a couple of slow stinkers in there, but I thought it was good. It was I good. Overall, it was good. Charles, you can't, you can't win them all. You can't have all excellent matches. <laughs> but what fun would that be? What would we have? What to fun talk would about? that be? What yeah. would we, what would we have to talk about? Go, ah, that sucked. Well, we hope that, uh, your holiday doesn't suck. This is the last time we'll come to you. Uh, well, I guess we'll come to you one more time. No, we'll come to you one more time. One more time. So this is, uh, our Christmas Eve's Eve show, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but we'll be back before you know it, talking about that dreaded and iconic box of gimmicks, the good, the bad, and the ugly all coming your way next week, right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard rock on. That's how I go like that. It's looking orange. Oh, that's your new thing. Oh, yeah. I forgot to show you. I got your, your present. Can look at it's on sale. See you next week. Right here. Something to wrestle. Bruce Pritchard. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.